Blog Talk Radio. Live, you tuned in to another fun-filled Saturday afternoon 
with myself and my fabulous co-host. What's going on, Rodney? You on the road? Hey, Angela. I am in Southern California on my way to... Well, as you can see, Rodney is live and remote on the road on his way to California. He dipped out a little bit. We got a couple of technical difficulties today, but we're going to keep this thing going and and keep rolling right through it. Um, As I said, you've tuned in to Our Own Voices Live, and if you would like to call in, make a comment, call our number at 347-826-9600. We're here every Saturday, 1230 on on the West Coast, 330 out east. And, you know, that's how we do. Rodney, you out there? <laughs> I am back on. Uh, pardon the interruption, but I am in California. But uh, on my way to L.A. to the Little Tokyo event in celebration of Blacktown. Blacktown being what Little Tokyo was before it was Little Tokyo. So on my way with... Uh, one of my military buddies, Mr. Aaron Gordon, uh, cruising hey, Aaron. in this chariot. And uh, hopefully we're going to have someone call in that's a part of putting this, this program together and also uh, the first member of the gathering after myself. Absolutely. Uh, we look forward to hearing about Blacktown and the celebration that's, that uh, you guys are going to take part in in California. Today, um, that's a part of today's show, but we're also going to talk about uh, Sandra Bland, rest in peace, uh, homegirl, Chicagoan. I'm a Chicagoan. She's from a western suburb of Chicago called Lyle, Lyle, Illinois. She was laid to rest earlier today. And as the nation mourns her passing, a lot of questions have uh, arised about her death. So we'll get into a few of those things. We're also going to raise the memory of a legend for us on on this platform. He's the reason that this platform and and the gathering and and a lot of uh, other really powerful good habits you and I both have formed um, in our daily lives. Um, We're going to raise the memory of Sam Smith. He would be celebrating a birthday tomorrow. We lost him earlier this year, but we will never forget him. And so we just want to celebrate his life and, and legacy with this broadcast. And, Angela, when we talk about celebrating Sam Smith, I was thinking about I was thinking about a glass of water, and I was thinking about how they used to have this analogy that if you put put your finger in a glass of water and remove it, that there's no hole left hmm. because it'll fill in on itself. But then I thought about what a giant Sam Smith was because when we lost him, there was no one to fill in for it, and the community still has a void there. Uh, so that's just the significance of his impact in so many lives. And, and an impact in one life is significant. But we're talking an impact in over 100 people's lives, and I'm uncovering more people every week. So, yes, it is. This show is in honor of his birthday. This show is partially here because of of his birth, of his life, 
and hopefully we will, you all will give us uh, uh, the opportunity to share with you as you listen and others call in at 347-826-9600, 347-826-9600. If you have been touched by Sam Smith, no matter what part of the world you've been, because though his final days were in Las Vegas, he's originally from Philadelphia, lived in New York City, was also in the military, and has friends and associates all over the world. So we'd love to hear anything you would have to say about Sam Smith, 347-826-9600. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Rodney, can you give us the station ID real quick, and we can keep the show going. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to another episode of Our Own Voices Live. Our Own Voices Live comes to you every Saturday, usually at 12.30 p.m. until about 2 o'clock, always 12.30 on the West Coast. That would be 3.30 out east, normally. We don't have technical difficulties. And we we thank you, all of our East Coast listeners, for tuning in and chiming in. Big props up to our folks in the D, Detroit, Folks in the Shy Town, where Angela's from, also back in Brooklyn, New York, Queens, New York, just New York, North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia. Oh, and let us not forget our listeners down up in up in uh, excuse me down in Texas, and also our listeners up in Minnesota. We have listeners all over the country. I'm sure I'm leaving out someone. And give us a call, 347-826-9600. If you're listening in a state that I did not mention, because we want to make sure that we recognize you too. Absolutely. And we thank you so much for spending, you know, a part of your Saturday with us. And, you know, even if you can't make the broadcast, please be sure to check out our archive. We have a lot of great information on past broadcasts and there will be a lot of great information shared on today's today's broadcast. So please check out our archives. And, you know, if you can't listen to the whole show today, start a little bit late today, but, you know, you got to go. I understand. Remember, we're always waiting for you in the archives. Uh, yes, we are. And as Angela mentioned, we covered a whole bunch of topics in the archives. We have some guests. We also have some series in the archives. So, uh, if there's a story that you want to do some research on, there's something happening, if it's something associated with Black Lives Matter, if it's something associated with holidays and significant events throughout the year, it's in our archives, so we're available to you 24-7. And if you would like to continue the conversation or share in the discussion of the conversation, you can also go to Our Own Voices Live on Facebook. Once again, that's Our Own Voices Live on Facebook. And we're all over social media. You can also go to Our Own Voices on Twitter. Our Own Voices on YouTube, just Our Own Voices, and you can find it. Uh, today's topic, we wanted to talk about the Mr. Sam Smith, the legend that he is, but we also wanted to talk about uh, Blacktown and the show that's being held in the honor of Blacktown. But in addition to that, you know, the news has been ablaze with the Sandra Bland story. Absolutely. Even Donald Trump, the Donald, has chimed in on Sandra Bland. And maybe surprising to some and maybe not to others, even the Donald suggested that that the police officer, the law enforcement official, may have been 
or seemed to be too aggressive in his treatment of Miss Sandra Bland. And we can question whether he was or not, but ultimately we know that from those actions she was incarcerated and never made it out, died, passed away, deceased. It's been ruled, at least in the first autopsy report, that it was a suicide. I would suggest to you all, it is not necessarily that a person commits a crime, and especially if it's a person of color, but it is the contact with police officers one way or the other, whether a crime was committed or not, that oftentimes leads to the death of black people, to other people for sure, but particularly to black people. What is it about interactions with police and black people that often leads to the loss of life of black people. Three four seven eight two six nine six zero zero. Let's talk about this. Let's let's talk about why Bernie Sanders and I believe um, I believe it's Mark O'Malley were not even able to say her name. Makes you wonder did they even know who she was? This was at the Net Roots event. Should they have known? last weekend? Absolutely. And then to um, all of my Democratic folks out there, why haven't more of you chimed in on this story? Where are you? You're our friend. You're our supporters, and we support you. I'm just curious as to why haven't we heard more about it from you. Donald Trump is a Republican, says he is a conservative, now, I think that this impacts all Americans, and I'm glad that Donald chimed in on this. But where are the rest? If Donald Trump can chime in as a Republican and a conservative, surely those Democrats out there can chime in. And as far as Donald Trump chiming in as a Republican, as a conservative, I mentioned earlier this to touch all Americans. Where are the rest of the Republicans on this matter? Here's a great opportunity for you all to seize the moment and take the lead where the Democrats seemingly have faltered. And if you take exception to my analysis of what happened, please give us a call, 347-826-9600, and share with us your thoughts. Well, we know that there are a lot of, um, there's a lot of thoughts and, and information uh, chiming in on the Sandra Bland uh, story all this week. Uh, as I stated earlier, we laid Miss Bland to rest today at the DePage AME Church in Lyle, Illinois, which is, you know, I said at the top of the broadcast, I, Sandra Bland is a homegirl of mine because we're both black girls from Chicago. Lyle is, you know, just a hop skip. That's just a little suburb like Henderson or Summerlin is to us here in, in Las Vegas. It, it's It's all a part of... Chicago, but, you know, just a, a small enclave uh, community, suburb, as we like to refer to them as in Chicago. Uh, she was laid to rest at the DePage AME Church in Lyle. Uh, she, Her life was celebrated by the church's uh, Girl Scout unit, uh, the Girl Scout unit that she, you know, comes from, as well as the youth choir. She, she sang in the youth choir and uh, participated in the church's Girl Scout unit. Um, she served on many of the, the church's committees, the uh, congregation said, um, and she had a lot of friends 
who lifted her memory and lifted her her name. They they said that it was, of course, a solemn, you know, a, a sad moment for the family and, and friends, but it was truly a celebration of her life and not the um, the controversy that is surrounding her death. Uh, the hashtag that the family, they wore navy blue shirts today with the hashtag uh, Sandra Speaks on it. And I'm looking at the Roots uh, Chatterati, which, t- you know, gives you the top 16 uh, hashtags that are, are circulating. Number one is Sandra Bland. Number two is Black Lives Matter. Um, number five is Say Her Name. Uh, which is the hashtag that's been widely circulated throughout social media to highlight how many women are uh, losing their lives at the hands of of uh, violence perpetrated by officers. So, you know, as we lay Miss Miss Bland to rest today, we are, as a community, left to wrestle with how do we get through. Um, and get to some form of resolution about um, the brutality of police officers against our community. And, you know, it really is against our community because we've seen a long list of black males, often young, who've lost their lives at the hands of the police where they've been unarmed. But it also has been black women at a much lesser degree, but a loss of life is still of a major degree to those family members and loved ones. So this is something that, though initially may have seemed isolated to just African-American males, black males, really it's black people. And what is it about cops and black people that lead to black people's loss of life, even when they're unarmed, sometimes they're handcuffed, sometimes they're in captivity, they're already in the jail cell, but just somehow that interaction with police, with law enforcement, leads to the loss of life. Last I checked, and I even heard the talking heads mention it this morning, that the lack of use or improper use of a signal light does not come with the death penalty. Now, the arresting officer arrested her but had was not involved in her death, at least not directly anyway. And nor am I saying that there's anyone directly responsible for her death. We do not know whether it's a suicide or not, but so far that is what they're saying, is that it is a suicide. I would like to interject that had she not been arrested in the first place, there would have been no suicide in that jail if it was a suicide. How about we go with this? There would have been no death of Sandra Bland in that jail had she not been arrested in the first place. And does anyone know, because I haven't read it yet, what was the actual charge for her arrest? Does anyone know that? 347-826-9600. If you know what the actual charge of Sandra Bland's arrest was, would love to hear it. Angela, do you know what it is? 
uh, I'm researching that because I've heard several things. I heard that the original charge was that she assaulted an officer. But I want to be sure before I put that out there as my final answer uh, on this matter. Uh, I don't, so, you know, I'm not sure. But I did find it interesting about an hour ago, the USA Today newspaper uh, was reporting on the homegoing service. And in that uh, story, there was a, uh, a fellow inmate, Alexandria Pyle, who told CNN Bland had been despondent inside her cell that no one was returning her phone calls. I didn't know you could do that. Um, Anyway, she also was quoted as saying she wasn't eating, and when I did talk to her, she was just crying and crying. And all I could say was, they can't hold you forever. That's what Miss Alexandria Pyle, a fellow inmate uh, at the same facility that Miss Bland uh, was being held at. That's what she told CNN today. You know, as I think about that, and I think about the people who are held in jail for one, two, or three days for minor offenses, what I would like for us to do as a nation is to look at our prison system really from top to bottom and then make some determinations on is our prison system, whether it's local, just overnight stays, to the penitentiary level where the president visited, are they actually serving the needs of our country? Are we spending excessive tax dollars in incarcerating people where there are other less expensive means available? Uh, the president was talking about releasing Nonviolent drug offenders. Sandra Bland had a traffic signal violation that led to her arrest. If that was what she was arrested for, that seems to be a frivolous use, and maybe what will come out of her this horrific incident, this tragedy, is that it gives us an opportunity to kind of stand back, reflect, and see one. Are our police officers properly trained? Do Are there things that need to be changed? Are certain standards too high? Do we need to look at the cost of maintaining people for frivolous charges? I mean, really, from this, it brings up a whole slew of questions that I currently don't have answers for. Absolutely. Um her friend, LaVon Mosley, uh, who apparently was, you know, at least one of the people that Ms. Bland reached out to during her uh, time of need and her incarceration, uh, he said that he hadn't noticed the two missed calls or, or the voicemail, and, and um, he, he describes uh, her voicemail as haunting and chilling. And he's quoted as saying, I just had to relive everything that had happened. And to hear her voice after I knew she was gone, um, part of it was guilt because I hadn't listened to it. Hmm. Wow. You know, this is this is an emotional case because just as she was saying in the traffic stop, is all of this for... A, a turn signal, signal, a traffic violation. A turn signal. 
Mm-hmm. Really? All of this? And it does make you ponder. Really? All of this for a turn signal, for a traffic violation? And I'm a law-abiding citizen, at least I try to be. And sure. I believe that it, if she used her turn signal improperly or failed to use it when she should have used it, then the police officer, the law enforcement individual, had every right to execute his job at the time. Now, the level of execution of his job, maybe that's, again, something that we should consider because I, they say, well, a police officer has great latitude as in what he or she does, whether it's to make a stop in the first place, in mm-hmm. making the stop, what actions to take, can it be a warning ticket? Is it a full ticket? At what level of ticket? It's just so many options that are available. Did this police officer have a chip on his shoulder? Was he upset because of the cigarette? Has anyone talked to the arresting officer to find out what does he think about this overall situation? I guess one of the questions I would like to ask him, if I could ask him, is now that we're where we are, if this, there, he had a chance for a do-over, is there anything that he would do differently? I would also like to ask all of the police officers out there who have seen this, would you have done things in the same manner as this police officer? And now that this is over, what would you train your troops? on how to conduct themselves in a routine traffic stop. What could be learned from both law enforcement as well as citizens from this incident? That's my uh, question with the Black Lives Matter movement. I think one of the things that they, and I don't know if they're working on getting getting this uh, sort of traction in as far as, uh, Black Lives Matter is concerned. I'm not involved with the organization and the workings of the organization, but it just seems to me that there probably is a good argument for uh, asking for addition, uh, uh, additional police training for officers on, you know, dealing with African American, um, the African American community, and dealing with stops particularly uh, for African, uh, where African-American constituents are concerned because, you know, one can't deny from uh, Fruitville Station to this Sandra Bland situation, um, black folks keep coming up dead. And, you know, it all all the fingers keep pointing back to training. Was this the right training? Is this the right law? Training is a question is in question here, and maybe, like you're suggesting, you know, I think you're suggesting, Rodney, there seems to be some room for uh, some retraining for officers um, and some some definite. I think citizens need to know what what's what with being stopped by the police themselves, not just how to conduct yourself, but what does an officer have the right to do, like we didn't know until this Sandra Bland situation came to light that in Texas, from the moment he had he, from the moment he stopped her, apparently he had the right 
as an officer and not notify her what she's being arrested for. And, and Angela, that's one of the things that I think gives, this gives us an opportunity to, re, to, to rethink our methods and procedures. Because yeah. I can tell you if I was in a traffic stop and the officer suddenly asked me to get out of the car, I have to admit I'd want to know why am I getting out of the car. And to know that he doesn't have to tell me, that's a little bit disconcerting to me. As an American sure. citizen, I would like to think that before I can be arrested or apprehended, that there's a reason and that I, that reason should be told to me. I just, from what I'm getting of the responses to this case and others, is that basically the police have such broad authority that we are almost helpless. And that's how I'm starting to feel. Someone asked me, what am I afraid of? And I said, there may be things that I'm afraid of that I don't, I'm not aware of, but the one thing that I do know that I'm afraid of, and that is having any type of stop by law enforcement. When I get in Definitely my car, for sure. yeah. I, set my, I find out what the speed limit is, and I set my cruise control to the speed limit. And some people who've ridden with me often ask me, well, Rodney, why do you do that? You even do that in the city. I said, because I want to make sure that I'm not giving a police officer a reason to stop Probable me. Call. And, Absolutely. And if I, there is a stop, that somebody can look at the computer on my car and say that at least Rodney was trying to follow the law because he even goes to the extent of setting his cruise control on the speed. And that's not because I don't want to get to some places quicker. That's just because if I get stopped by law enforcement, I want to be so sure that I haven't violated anything that if something bad did happen, that when people investigate, there's a large, you know, there's the standard and there's a digital footprint of showing what, of what's going on and what was going on with you. And, you know, it's, it's it's those checks and balances that we're uh, that we're being asked to do as taxpaying citizens, taxpaying citizens like any any other body of uh, community in this country. It's the extra stuff we're having to do, and and maybe that's something that police officers can uh, begin to to disseminate along with the Black Lives Matter. Maybe that's a a, a, a a bridge of connection. Let's start to disseminate the information, say like a probable cause uh, check card, checklist. The officer has probable cause with these things. If you got something hanging off your, your mirror, if you, you know, just from the fact that he, he, that he stopped you, he has probable cause, to ask you out your vehicle and even arrest you. Just arming citizens with information, you know, maybe that's that's where we're at with this now. And information is good, but as attested to by a couple of law enforcement, former law, well, one current and one former law enforcement official at our weekly gathering on Friday, one of the things that they both said is that if a person knows the law and 
assert their knowledge of the law, what the, the police officer is supposed to do or not supposed to do, that oftentimes they look at that person as a belligerent individual, will suspect that he, possibly, he or she possibly has a gun, and will deal with them differently than they would with someone who has not expressed any knowledge of the law. So it almost seems that no matter what you do, you are subject to increased harassment by police officers, whether you're ignorant of the law or whether you know the law. Yeah. So well, it seems that whether I'm walking straight or I'm staggering, the result is still the same with contact with law enforcement. And this really should concern all citizens because though it seems to be happening primarily with black people, black males, and an, uh, an increasing and alarming number of black females, that this is something that could happen to other groups too. So it is best to check it now where it is before, like the famous poem in World War II, first they came for the tradesman, maybe first they came for the black person, mm-hmm. and now they'll come for you next. As per uh, a lot of American history, um, history, you know, the history speaks for, for itself that, you know, that usually is the case that we start to see these things in African-American community, in the, in our African-American community first. And then you start to see it in, you know, in, in uh, general population um, later. Uh, this is Our Own Voices Live. I'm Angela Thomas. I'm Rodney Smith. And... It must be Saturday because we're on air again. If you'd like to join the conversation, please dial up. Dial us up at 347-826-9600, 347-826-9600, or you can join us on our uh, page. Over 1,700 and growing. I, I had no idea till I asked you yesterday how large our social media, our Facebook page, that's our primary uh that's our primary social media platform for this uh, show. We have over 1,700 of you guys that regularly uh, that have joined our page and, and, and enjoy the content that we share on that page, and we appreciate each and every one of you. If you have not joined uh, our Facebook page, please do so. We continue the conversation a lot of times, and we share a lot of uh, things that we find interesting in the news uh, as well as, you know, just different things that are going on in our city and other cities uh, in this great body we call the United States. So join us on Facebook. Yes, please join us on Facebook and also on Twitter. Once again, it's Our Own Voices on Twitter, and it's Our Own Voices Live on Facebook. Because this this discussion is probably not going to end with the burial of Sandra Bland because we are having these deaths almost on a routine basis, very similarly to the death of American citizens at the hands of terrorists in one form or the other. Uh, There has been a lot of talk about guns, and, you know, we had the uh, shooting of the naval uh, enlisted as well as 
uh, the Marines. And then on top of that, we had the theater shooting, uh, what, what was it, just uh, two nights ago. So violence in this country is almost a part of the country's culture. Um, many folks remind me that the country was founded on violence. It's true. But whatever your beginning is doesn't mean it needs to be your ending or that we need to continue it. Uh, I'm a believer in the Second Amendment, but in in being a believer in the Second Amendment, just because you have a weapon does not mean you need to use your weapon. Just because you have power as a law enforcement official does not mean you need to use every iota of that law enforcement authority. Discretion is okay. Uh, also, what was alarming to me on a different level was seeing the police officer reach into Sandra Bland's car. Now, I don't know what he was reaching in for, but I thought that it looked as if it put him in a position of danger. And I was wondering, yeah. is that standard procedures when you are trying to apprehend or, in this case, arrest someone, that you would reach into a vehicle to try to physically remove them? Uh, mind you, most people wear seatbelts, so it's hard to yank a person out of a car with the seatbelt on in the first place. So there's a lot of things that I thought, you know, we're going to have to make this a trainable moment as a minimum. If nothing else, can we can we do that? I mean, I think there needs to be more. But if nothing else, can we do that? And if not I, now, when? I I was just gonna say with with that within that same moment, within that same um, area of the tape, you heard him use a, what I consider to be a very slangish uh, statement. He said to Ms. Bland, I'm, you know, I'm going to light you up. Now, where I come from, that means he's going to shoot you. I, I, I didn't, it, it sounded very slang. It sounded like slang. It sounded like something. Um, it didn't sound like something that a, an officer, a person in authority and in charge of, you know, a situation. It didn't sound like anything um that was in the professional book of conduct to to say to uh, a person that you've pulled over, I'm going to light you up. I, that was pretty shocking to me. I, I couldn't believe that that was being said. Well, there does seem to be some emotion involved on both parties in this case. Sure. With the the police, uh, the law enforcement official, uh, getting pretty heated seemingly after a conversation took place about a cigarette. And there was an exchange of him actually quite politely or seemingly done politely asking her to extinguish her cigarette. And with her response saying that she's in her own vehicle and smoking and doesn't have to put it out. And from there, and we don't know if there's pieces missing in the tape or not, and if there is, we'd like someone to officially say that, because it seemed like it escalated from the request of putting a cigarette out to her commenting on 
not having to put it out because she's in her own vehicle to him asking her to step out of the car. Then with her asking, why do I need to come step out of the car? And this is another part, one of those trainable moments. I thought if you arrested me or apprehended me, you had to tell me why. But come to find out from what we're hearing. What we're learning, yeah. You do not have to be told why. If, if the police officer makes up his or her mind that an apprehension or arrest is going to take place, then he can do it, and you just need to comply. You, we need to comply. And that's something that we have to talk about, is do you just do what a police officer says? And if it is that is the case, then what is the safeguard measures to prevent police from abusing their almost omnipotent power? Absolutely. I think we need to discuss that. You know, in um past, in in the past during the um during the eighties and nineties, uh police officers there were a lot of officers pulling um uh, young black men over, you know, driving while black, uh, type of situations and um asking young men to you know, ask asking to search their vehicles. And a lot of young men acquiesced to that, not knowing that they had the right to say, no, you cannot search my vehicle without a warrant in a lot of places in the country. You had that right to say that. But, you know, a lot of young men didn't have that information, and, you know, drugs and crimes were able to be planted on them because the officer then went into the vehicle and said he found whatever in the car. So, you know, we have a lot of reasons to question and 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 probably mistrust the relationship with police officers as it pertains to traffic stops. There's a lot of recent history of those things being abused just giving an officer blind go ahead to you know do whatever he feels like he wants to do. At the end of the day, he wants to go home to his family, and, and the person that's being stopped wants to go home to their family. Uh, the, one of the big differences is that that police officer always knows that as long as he has that gun, he has the upper hand. Now, in this case, there was no use of a gun, nor was there a use of the taser, even though a taser was pulled out and there was a threat that the taser would be used. We'd like to look at, was that the proper procedure, even for using a taser? I really want to know, are police officers properly trained? Are they executing that training properly when they're in in public? And also, and this is very important, what rights does a citizen have when stopped by the police? Now, I believe that we should all be civil towards one another. Police should be civil towards those people that are stopped, and the people who are stopped should be civil towards police. I think that's just 
good manners, what our mothers taught us, right? But mm-hmm. let's be realistic. Everybody does not have a perfect day. And sometimes when you're not having the best day, you're not, well, sometimes maybe you're a little short. Sure. I'm not trying to justify it, but that's just the reality. Well, does that mean that the police officer now should conduct himself differently with you? I, I think we just need to take the time to look at these things and dissect them a little bit and always go back for both parties to see what could what could have been done differently or what should I do differently the next time I'm in this situation. What should I teach people to do when they're in these situations? I think that these it's very important and maybe even as important as saving a life to have these discussions because we know that lives are being lost as we buried one of those lives in the personage of Miss Sandra Bland today. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm in the chat room. Uh, if you'd like to join me in the chat room, I'd just like to share um, one of the, the uh, thoughts put out there by uh, Sister Awareness in the chat room with me. I asked the question, uh, Did she, you know, uh, Sister Awareness, do you have a Sandra Bland comment? And her comment is, um, I believe Sandra Bland was targeted because of her activism against pr- police brutality. I think we need to encourage activism to protect our, to, I think we need to encourage activism to protect themselves and to take security steps. Thank you very much for that comment. I really appreciate you guys joining me in the chat room. And that's an interesting point. What do you think, Rodney? Well, it, again, it brings us to the, what authority does a police officer have and what rights do civilians have? Because can you protect yourself from every possible circumstance and situation, probably not. To me, the broader question is, why should I even have to? There should be a certain level of, hey, this is a civilian that is out here that I'm doing a traffic stop for because they did do something improperly. It's a traffic stop, and that's how it should be. I do not believe there should be an adversarial, an automatic adversarial situation when there is police and citizen interaction, specifically when it's police and black people. And I said black people, not just black men, not just black teens, but black people. Miss Sandra Bland, adult black woman. And, yes, she was active. You know, I've gotten some reports that I'm, and I'm putting together the story with and I'm hoping our journalists can uh, call in today that can tell you about some of the things that happened to Sandra Bland before this incident. This was not the first interaction she had down there that may have been associated with what uh, your chat room member talked about in association with her activism was there, and this is something that needs to be looked into, was there any type of, should we say, mm, threats against Ms. Bland? 
were people feeling that because of her activism and specifically associated with police, that the police had to do something to slow her down? Was there, did she actually have anything that maybe the police were afraid would be released? Now, maybe the answer is no to all of that, but maybe the answer is yes, and it needs to be explored. This case should not end with her burial today. It won't. Um, you know, as, as I said at the top of the broadcast, I, I referred to Ms. Bland as a homegirl, not just because we hailed from, from the same neck of the woods, but when you look at her pictures and you listen to her videos and, you know, her, her, her minister today referenced that she had over 50 selfies and, you know, several videos. This was a woman who was very vibrant with life and, and excited about life and excited you know, I, I don't know, but very engaged in her activism. Um, and, you know, the, the things that you raised and the things that Sister Awareness in the chat room raised, I think it is a key point to discuss about this case as, as we go, you know, go forward after laying her to rest today. These are things that we do need to examine and you know, our real concerns. You know, one of the other things I'm concerned with, Angela, is there's this talk about marijuana in her system. Uh, that concerns me. There's also talk about her mental state. And our... I just want to say as, that, as med- med- in- that marijuana is being used for therapy for epilepsy, which she said in the video she suffers from, and depression. Just putting that out there. And in the news, what's being reported, is it being addressed because of her medical conditions or is it being addressed to, as some people would say, to somewhat defame her? So I think that all of these things need to be looked at and need to be looked at seriously. Uh, And then the intake procedure was, should there have been medical staff should she have had a psychological evaluation? I think that these things are very important, too. Uh, should there have been more observation of her on a recurring basis, more so than what it was? These things need to be addressed. Mental health in America is oftentimes swept under the rug, but there are repercussions for not addressing mental health issues, and we have to ask ourselves, was the intake process proper for someone who has had previous mental health issues, who even wrote it on the form of the intake intake process? Should there have been someone to evaluate her? I think these are very important questions, and we need answers to these questions. Um, absolutely. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I was just going to say that Sister Awareness in the chat room, uh, she and I are still chatting, and uh, she raised a, a very interesting uh, point. She said that she felt that activists need to seek human rights, uh, human rights certification um, that the U.N. Rights Committee, who notifies the Secretary of State if something happens. 
Very interesting. Well, I think involvement, we, we all need to have involvement because we're all Americans, and this is something that's happened to them something that is happening to Americans in America. You know, this is not in Russia, China, North Korea, Cuba, uh, Argentina. This is someplace that is happening right here on our street, and this is happening with our people. And as Americans, we all should be concerned. So whatever it is, these questions need to be addressed. And this is a great time for us to collectively work on this, whether male, female, uh, black or white or anything in between. This is something that happened to an American, and we, we should be addressing it, this as Americans, not to lose sight that primarily it is still happening with black Americans, and there's something unique about black Americans' interaction with law enforcement in America that should spark, as a minimum, curiosity and for sure concern with everyone else. You know, Angela, even talking about Sandra Bland, I don't want us to end the show without taking a few moments to talk about someone else who is no longer with us, but who's also had a major impact in our lives, and that is Mr. Samuel uh, L. Smith. We knew him affectionately simply as Sam or Sam Smith or Mr. Smith. And tomorrow... He'll be, he would have celebrated another birthday. Yeah. July 26th. And I just didn't want the show to end without us taking a moment to reflect back on what Sam means and meant to you and I, as well as what he meant to others. And, uh, you know, it was only, it's not too many months ago that I had seen Sam, and not too many months ago, that you've uh, seen him and talked to him, Angela. And, you know, for those who may not be familiar with Sam, why don't you share a little bit about who Sam was and what he was to the community? Well, I you know, it's just hard to talk about him in past tense. It's, it's still difficult to talk about Sam in past tense for me because he, he is, this is, uh, vibrant and present with me today as we uh, look at up, up, uplifting and, and, and celebrating him on on his birthday as, as he ever was. Um, I was in my book collection. If 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 there is something that I can say that you know automatically makes me think of Sam, it's when I go in my personal library and I'm looking for a book. Uh, or I or I find that I don't the book that I I went in the library to get doesn't quite cover enough of what I I wanted to get into with the book and I immediately okay what can I do to uh, you know where where you know what's my resource here where where should I go what 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 do I who can I call that would know. I automatically think of Sam. There is not one issue, one topic that I've ever brought up to Sam that he didn't sit back and say, "Ah, ah, that's interesting, Miss Tom, Mrs. Thomas." And uh, I, 
read a, a book on it the other day or in 19 and he can recall the man's recall is amazing I, he, he can he can tell you the year and the date i in july 24th on you know in in 1974 i read a book while i was riding the train uh as an officer in new york city on just that issue sister let me look and see if i have a copy of it around here <laughs> Uh, so Sam then, was the owner of the Native Son Bookstore, and for a time it was the only African-American-owned bookstore in the city. Some people have even suggested it was the only one in the state. Uh, books were important to him, and he thought books should be important to everyone, but he just thought that reading was important. And Sam would ask whenever you went someplace, hey, bring me back one of those free papers or magazines that they had. And it don't make any difference whether they had one, two, or more. He wanted a copy of each one, and he would oftentimes review those, each one of those, and would, could talk about it. And he would ask everyone that he knew to bring back a copy of one of those free newspapers, one of those free magazines. Uh, for those of you who may not be aware of it, there is also the Samuel L. Smith uh, education and Literacy Foundation that's being headed by Dr. Uh, uh, Fourier, and it is has some big plans to keep Sam Smith's memory alive, but also many of the projects that he was involved in. When you look at the body of work as an in, of an individual, I mentioned earlier that when you stick your finger in a glass of water and you take your finger out, there's no hole. But when Sam Smith left us, there's still a void throughout the whole com community and in many of us. With that being said, hopefully folks can join us in the chat room and later on the Facebook page and share with us how Sam Smith impacted their life, their children's life, uh, their relative, their parents' life, because that's the span that he was from the grandparent down to the grandchild, and it was awfully associated with books. It was associated with reading, test-taking. Uh, Sam was involved with it all, and it was even – I can tell you that even one of the reasons why I just drove up into Little Tokyo in L.A. is because oh, awesome. they're having a show, an event here in Little Tokyo, celebrating and acknowledging the black people that settled here before the Japanese and the relationship that black and Japanese had, but making sure that we don't lose sight that where they are now, and it's very nice down here, Angela, that where they are used to be where black people live. And I give them, you know, just I don't even have to see anything to give thanks for them acknowledging the existence that where they're residing now. It's where black people used to live. And a lot of people who live in L.A. didn't even know that this area town, which is really right in the heart of the city, is mm -hmm. where black people used to stay. There's a story to be told. Those are the types of things that Sam would be interested in, assuming he didn't know about it already and that he would right. share with others. So I'm down here sort of channeling Sam and trying to learn something about this area here in L.A., not too far from us there in Las Vegas, and then bring back that information to you. And, of course, we know that Las Vegas is full of a lot of transplants from Southern uh, California and, and L.A. specifically. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, this is Our Own Voices Live. I'm Angela Thomas. And I'm Rodney Smith. And it's Saturday, so we're on air and we're discussing the uh, Sandra Bland, say her name, um, Sandra Bland, the the lane, her being laid to rest as well as uh, a number of the questions that her death um, arises. um, And we're also celebrating the life, the legacy of the legend, the legendary Sam Smith, a giant in our community and a a giant to me personally. Uh, Every Friday we meet at the Bistro Nevada Partners, 710 Westlake Mead, and that particular uh, weekly get-together is a, a direct result of Sam Smith. Ronnie, you want to tell that story once again? We've told it many times on this platform, but we can never tell it enough. Well, over seven years ago, <clears throat> Sam and I were chatting, as we often did, and we spent most days together at that time. And Sam thought that I should go to the West Side Bistro inside of Nevada Partners and he said that was the place to be. And I went there, and sure enough, it was the place to be. It was just as Sam said. He never knew who was going to come to the door. Most importantly for me, I got a chance to see Sam interact with people, people that he knew, people that knew him, and sometimes people that he didn't know. And it didn't make a difference whether he knew you or not. He spoke to you as if he did know you. The only difference was if he didn't know you, he was trying to get to know more about you. And I I literally watched that, and I was amazed. Sam used to say, Rodney, you should never go into into a place full of people and then leave that place without knowing one more person than you did when you entered. And that's something really that I have modeled in my business uh, activities, and I found that it's paid me large dividends, financial dividends in business, but also in my social life. Uh, Whenever I'm in a place, if I see someone that I don't know, I try to speak to him. If I see someone that I know for sure, I acknowledge them. Uh, in going to the West Side Bistro, it was myself and Sam, and after going there a couple of times, there were some people that we saw at a table that we had seen before that we didn't get a chance to chat with. So sure enough, in true fat, Sam Smith fashion, Sam says hi to him, and at that by that point, it got me to speaking up a little bit more because that wasn't normally what I did. And I started speaking to them as I'd seen Sam interact with other people, and they appreciated it. And actually, uh, Mrs. Julia Thomas is the young lady that I spoke to. She became a member of the gathering, and she's since moved to L.A., and she carries on that tradition of Sam and getting to know each other, getting to know one another, and also exploring her environment. She moved to Little Tokyo, And then that's how she found out the little Tokyo used to be Blacktown and invited me and the rest of the folks from the gathering down. The gathering was brought about because of Sam and myself, then Julia, uh, then Alex, uh, and then later you, Angela, Theodore, and then it just kept building more and more until half of the room was full with people from the gathering. And the gathering Mm -hmm. wasn't put together as a networking event. 
per se. It's definitely not business networking anyway, but it was an opportunity for people to come together and meet one another and literally get to know one another. And if we had things on our minds that we wanted to talk about, we could share those things. Sam often said if you had an opinion or a particular uh, perspective that you wanted to push, then bring some paper to back it up, not just your words. Support whatever you're going to say. And I thought, you know, this is nice. It's good to be able to talk from fact and not just opinion, though opinions are valid. But how about when you can back that opinion up with paper? And Sam always was able to back his up with paper. And that's what we started doing was you. And that prompted people who might not otherwise read books or read much, that if they had something that they thought they wanted to share, it pushed them to go and research it and get information about it and then share it with other people. And as I can tell you, sometimes when I share stuff from people, they may think it's an opinion, but most of the time it's something that, yes, started out as an opinion, but because of Sam Smith that I've read up on, so that I can feel confident that if Sam was here, I have something to back up whatever it is that I'm saying. So the gathering started seven years ago, mainly between Sam and I, then other people came on, it was a way for professionals to find each other. In Las Vegas, black folks often said they weren't able to find black professionals. Well, we have black professionals and we have others. And it also was a place that Sam thought was critically important in establishing relationships that might lead to us actively working in the community to accomplish something. He never specifically said what the something is but he said to do something. One of the things he did mention specifically, though, was he said that we should be more involved with planning for our future financially and building whatever businesses that we have now. And though he says, no, this is not a business networking meeting, but it should lead to things more than just what we talk about in this room. So it has served me well. Hopefully it has served other people well who have come to the gathering. The gathering was also done at the Westside Bistro because it was a, it's a culinary training academy or the culinary, acad- culinary academy, and they didn't actually have a lot of people to come there. I mean, there, the people who came were notable, but it wasn't a bunch of them. And Sam said, this was put here for our benefit, the benefit of our community, but a good percentage of the people who are taking advantage of this training are people from outside the community. Let's come here so we can show our community that this is okay to come to, and also for those people who are in the training program, let's give them real-world training situations by being here and not having to train on one another over and over again because that will not represent the environment that they'll have to deal with once they've graduated from the program. So since then, on Fridays, whenever the Westside Bistro is open, we're there. The fifth Friday, and this July 31st will be the fifth Friday, we did decide to reserve the fifth Friday as an opportunity to support black business, and we normally spend time at T.C.'s Rib Crib. T.C.'s Rib Crib, located on South Durango, the cross street would be Spring Mountain. So July 31st, we will be meeting there, and we will be talking about the legacy of Sam Smith, and I'll be bringing an update of the program down here in Little Tokyo in celebration of what was formerly known as Blacktown in the heart of the city of L.A. 
Absolutely. Well, I'm sure it's going to be a, a, a great program. Any, I'm, sure, I, I'm sure you're enjoying the weather already. It's a lot cooler down there in L.A. And uh, as we still enjoy basking the glory of 100-plus degrees here in Las Vegas, it's always uh, a pleasure to get to some of our neighboring um, cities uh, to enjoy a little cool down of sorts. Well, and speaking of getting into the program, it started a few minutes ago, and uh, we drove down here to take as much of it in as possible, and I want to do that. Uh, Someone from the program may be calling into the show before we leave the air. If not, I'll get as much information from them as I can uh, today and see if we can get them to call in next week. And, you know, literally did not scratch the surface on the importance of Sam Smith in my life sure. to the Las mm-hmm. Vegas community, as well as to communities outside of Las Vegas, because his reach was extensive. And if you all don't have a, a Sam Smith or don't know of a Sam Smith-type person in your community, ask for one, because they may be there and you're just not aware of them. And maybe you're that person. Well, think about that because we have to share our story. Oftentimes people may hear things through hearsay, third-person, fourth-hand knowledge, and maybe they read something through books from other people who weren't there. But there's something to be said about interacting with a person who's been there, done that, seen it, experienced it, and can pass it down to you directly. We have to take advantage of that. People like Sam Smith, born in the time frame that he was born, lived in a time that hopefully will stay in our past. But we have to know our past because if we don't, other people may tell us of a past that's more fantasy than reality so that it can perpetuate their agenda. So let's know our history and let's talk to the people. Our living history books that are among us today, let's open those books up and read them from cover to cover. Angela, on that note, I'm going to leave for the program. Thank you all to our listeners for listening to our show today. Hopefully you'll be back next Saturday where I can bring you a report of the program from Blacktown and that we can have a broader discussion on the legacy of Samuel Smith. Very cool. All right, young man, enjoy the program. Tell Julia and everyone I said hello and have a fabulous Saturday. Thanks for joining us. And I'll talk to you on the other side. Be safe out there, brother. All right. Thank you, Angel. All right. Bye-bye. Well, that leaves you and me. I'm Angela Thomas. This is Our Own Voices Live. And Rodney has left the building and left me completely in charge of of the reins. This man has obviously lost his mind, (laughs) leaving me here and uh, letting me completely hold it down on, on the on the ones and twos. This is a lot of fun. I always love uh, being here every week, and I want to continue the conversation right after this station ID. I am Angela Thomas. This is Armed Voices Live. You are listening to Armed um, Voices Live, and we're this week we're talking about uh, Sandra Bland laying her to rest, uh, hashtag say her name, uh, and we're also celebrating the life and legacy of Mr. Sam Smith. Tomorrow I will be taking part in a breakfast with Sam's uh, children, grand, uh, probably some of the, some of the grand, grandchildren as well, and uh, many, many members 
here in the community that wanted to acknowledge his birthday and celebrate amongst one another. And, you know, it really helped the family through what I I, I know is a difficult time because I know uh, how hard it is on me. I, I talk to Sam pretty much every day uh, from the time that I knew him uh, until he passed. Uh, I talk to Sam every day. And ah, what a giant void in my life personally and uh, in the community as as a whole. It was a regular part of my routine, as I said, to talk to him daily. And I got by his uh, shop ooh, probably once or twice a week to lay hands on him, as, as uh, my grandmother and, and, and elders in my life would say. Uh, and just, you know, eyeball to eyeball, appreciate uh, the young man and, and just, you know, I, I always called him the young man to um, his spirit because his spirit was so light and young and, you know, effervescent, I guess, uh, is a good way to describe him. And as we talk about Sandra Bland um, and her legacy of, of activism, you know, Sam was definitely an activist, got personally responsible for getting at least 100 African Americans uh, invo- involved in careers of uh, in fire service. He himself served in his lifetime as a serviceman, and he also um, was a, pol- a New York police officer at the time. He was the youngest person on the New York uh, police force. And so, you know, often when uh, these cases would arise, uh, like Sandra Bland and the whole Black Lives Matter uh, movement, uh, Ferguson is very um, enlightening uh, because he he would talk about it from two sides, being an ex-officer as well as being a black man in America. And, you know, he, taught, he, he enlightened me on a lot of things about uh, being a police officer and the difference, be, you know, what a difference it makes in having uh, officers, police officers that uh, are from the black community and, and the black experience and, you know, uh, how he talked to me about how different shootings are handled. And, you know, it was just interesting talking to Sam. And, you know, the Sandra Bland situation, I think I started to say earlier, is interesting to me because I'm a Chicagoan. She's a Chicagoan. She was a Chicagoan. And um, I don't know, it just seemed ever since the case came up it the watching the videos looking at the pictures you just felt like you knew her or you you know you you just felt like you knew her and um what brought her to the the um brought her to Texas was she was about to take a position at um historically black college Prairie Valley A&M University and um after having been, you know, such a big part of Black Lives Matter and taking part in so much of um, 
that movement and being an activist in that movement. So, you know, I just want to say to to that, you know, we just have a lot of work to do. Are are we? What are we going to do to um, help the activists continue their work? You know, everybody can play a position. Uh, Sister Awareness brought up a good point in the chat room about UN protection and um, the activists becoming UN, you know, certified. I don't know what the process is, but that sounds like an interesting um, and important uh, suggestion to uh, UN Human Rights Committee, you know, a human rights certification through the Human Rights uh, Committee. I don't know what the process is, but it sounds interesting. And maybe via social media we can uh, reach out to the leadership of Black Lives Matter and maybe put that suggestion out there. We all know the Black Lives Matter uh, campaign is, is very... The Black Lives Matter team is 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 very um, active via Twitter and, and social media, and you know maybe that's something that we should, uh, in tandem, as a group, tweet out to the uh, Black Lives Matter um, leadership. Sister Awareness, thank you for. Um, adding to the chat room, I'll I'll be back to you in just a moment. Uh, I agree with you that activists should work in teams. That way, you know, folks are helping to keep an eye on one another and uh, moving forward uh, together. And people are aware of of your whereabouts and what's going on with you and helping to, uh, Make sure that you are not uh, targeted, and, and if you are targeted, that there are systems in place to help um, help you not be in, in Ms. Bland's position this morning where your family is forced to lay you to rest uh, too early. She's only 28 years old. She's just a baby. I have a daughter that's 28, and that's just far too young. You're at, You're at the the beginning of your of your life 28 you're 20 anything 28 you you know you just got your education you, you're in school and this could be any of our daughters um today these matters are visiting the black community but tomorrow it could be anybody's community when we as we uh look at the tragedy that happened at the movie theater um the other day, and, and we began to unpack the um, identification of the of the man that shot um, these nine people, and, and we began to examine. Uh, it is interesting to me that that we're not calling this d- domestic terrorism. We're just kind of saying, you know, that the narrative through the national media is kind of saying that, oh, well, this is, you know, just what's occurring. And 
you know, Rodney brought up mental mental illness a moment ago, uh, early in the broadcast. And I know a lot of that has been um, brought up about Ms. Bland, the, the video that's circulating via Facebook and other social media outlets of her talking about uh, suffering from depression. And, you know, I, I think that a lot of uh, a lot of young African Americans are probably, you know, suffering from a bit of depression and that still doesn't mean that a traffic stop should lead should end in, in, in such a tragedy, whether you're suffering from depression or not, is is really not the issue for me. Um it just seemed like a whole lot of ego as I uh, watched that video, just seemed like a whole lot of ego. If you're the person in control, as far as uh, officers are concerned, it just seemed like a whole lot of ways that 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 stop, the Sandra Bland stop, could have been handled differently. Uh, as I look at uh, Chatterati, and you look at the hashtags that are continue, you know, that are the top 16 hashtags. Number one today, uh, because I'm sure she's on a lot of our hearts and minds, um, is Sandra Bland. Black Lives Matter is, is number one. Uh, Sandra Bland uh, is number 10 now. Uh, but, it, you know, this is social media, and these are the top hashtags that are, that are trending. She's in, in the top 10 today. Uh, as she's been since the occurrence of this this uh, horrible tragedy that has befallen her, the arrest and you know the alleged suicide of uh, Miss Bland and her cell, it's just a lot to take in. So you are listening to our own voices live, and I am Angela Thomas. I am going to take this moment to thank you for listening to the broadcast, myself and Rodney as he and uh, his fellow serviceman Aaron rolled out to L.A. to take part in the Blacktown um, program put on by Ms. Julia Thomas, um, former, uh, well, a current gather, gathering uh, founder and former Las Vegas resident, um, Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Thanks for chatting with me in the chat room, Sister Awareness, and the other guest. And I, I, you know, I love Saturdays because I get to chat it up with you guys. And I will see you next week as we bring you, uh, Rodney will be talking about the Blacktown program, and we will continue to uh, the discussion about Sam Smith's legacy and uh, the Sam Smith uh, breakfast tomorrow. So we'll see you next week, and thanks so much for joining us. Talk to you next Saturday. Make it a great week.